Amen. Thank you, Rich. Well, welcome. Good to uh, see all of you guys back today. We have a good good turnout. Yes, last week, um, but I figured more of you would be trickling in today. And uh, this week, not today, but for this week, you know, for your classes that are starting. Um, well, last week we started a series on spiritual gifts. I think Rich has already said that um, at different points. And you can really think of this series as kind of like a, a 2.0 of our series on growth last week. We could call it, or last year. I'm trying to get, yes, last calendar year, last semester. Okay, I'm still a little, still a little fuzzy from this morning. We started a series, or we, we, did, we went through a series on growth last semester. And this is kind of an extension of that series. And if you remember back, um, we learned then that when God saves us, he is far from finished with us, right? So our salvation is just the beginning. We're kind of like that old house that's not been updated. It's dilapidated. You know, it needs, needs a lot of work. Um, kind of like the house that Mary and I bought when we, you know, a couple years after we got married. Uh, some family members cried when they saw the house that we bought. That's how, um, that's how bad it was. Um, and that house needed renovating. It needed new everything. And we're like that old house that's, that's not been updated in years, and we need, we need a reno. But when the Lord purchases us and w- when he saves us, that renovation just starts, right? That's not the, the end of it. Like if he purchases the house, you know, that's not, that's not the end. The reno has to, has to take place. And so he begins that renovation to make us more like his son. But the renovation isn't for the renovation's sake either, right? Why do we renovate homes? To live in them. Right? And to use them. Uh, so he is renovating us to live here, to make his dwelling here, Ephesians 3, and, and to use us then to bless others. So we could say it like this God saves us to grow us, and he grows us to use us. Right? He saves us to grow us, and he grows us to use us. Right? And the growing us and the using us kind of happen at the same time. Um, and they, they, uh, they mutually enforce one another. The more you grow, the more useful you become. The more useful you become, the more you grow. So, that's where our spiritual gifts series comes in here. When God saved each one of us, He also endowed us with something that the Bible calls a gift or a spiritual gift. So, okay, so what is that? So, we defined it last time, and here's how we did that. What is a gift? When the Bible talks about these, it's a Specific and God-given ability to build up the church. Okay? It's a specific and God-given ability to build up the church. And what that means is, if you're saved, then God has given you some kind of skill, something you'll be good at, something He intends you to flourish in. He's given you something that will be especially edifying to this church in any church that you'll be a part of after this time at Timberlake. And the more you use it, the more you learn to use it, or them, the more you learn to use them, sometimes you have more than one, then the more this church will grow in its health. More people will be saved, more saints will grow in their likeness to Christ, the more you learn to use your gifts. And that means that if you're in habitual sin, if you're not vitally involved if you're not loving and serving others here at Timberlake, then not only is that harmful to you, but it's also harmful to us. 
you're a broken arm that's not functioning. And if you're in our church, then you're part of us. Like You're our arm that's not functioning. So we want to get you on the mend so that you can function like God has designed you to function in our church. And that get you on the mend part was all of last semester's series on uh, how we grow. So if you missed that, if you're new, that's like one of the most important series we've ever taught. So it's all online. Uh, you can go back and listen to that. But Paul says then that, that when each of us are working properly, in Ephesians 4.16, when each of us are working properly, that we make the body grow. So it's like the body grows the body is kind of the way that, that verse works. And it happens as each one of us are working in the way that God has designed us to work, the way he intends us to function. So that means then as you learn to repent of your sin, as you learn to love and serve those around you, as you learn to maximize your gifts, that this body here at Timberlake, this college ministry even, will grow. We'll grow in health, certainly, but we'll also grow numerically. Meaning, not just more attenders, but more souls will be saved. More churches will be planted, and that will all happen as you individually learn to practice your gifts. So, we decided to dedicate some specific time to study this topic this semester. And I know you probably have a lot of questions. I know I do too, and that's part of why I want to study these things out. So, one thing you can kind of know on the back end is the next series Clay's doing is because Clay has questions that he wants to, uh, he wants to work out. So, um, our goal in this series, though, is to help you. And, and it's help you first start to understand these gifts. What are they? And then second, start identifying which ones you might have. And then third, think about how to maximize those gifts for the good of the church, right? Pretty intuitive. You've got to understand it first and then kind of think about, okay, what about me? How does, which ones do I have and then how do I use them? So that's the overarching trajectory of this series, more or less. And last time we were together, I said I wanted to start this series by trying to provide this framework for these gifts. Just as we wade into a topic like this, there's a lot of questions so it's important that we just get our bearings in terms of an overall framework or an overview, maybe, of what the different passages teach about these gifts. Now, I don't have time to go through and do an exposition of every single passage, but um, I'm drawing out some principles here that will kind of give us a framework. And last time, last week, we camped out in Ephesians 4. You don't need to turn there. I'll just do a quick review. I gave you some initial observations about the spiritual gifts. I know some of you weren't there, so here's a quick, hopefully one minute or less, review of each point, all right? So what do we say? What were some principles? What were some observations, I think, that I was saying? Observations we were making about these passages about spiritual gifts. Well, here's the first one. Spiritual gifts are a manifestation of God's grace to the church. They are a manifestation of God's grace to the church. What do we mean by that? Well, in Ephesians 4, 7... The first thing we observed is what Paul calls these gifts. He has different names for them in different passages. But here, in Ephesians 4, 7, he calls them grace. He says, he says, grace was given to each one of us. And at first, we might be tempted to think he's talking about our salvation. So that's how he normally uses the word grace. This grace was given. But a closer reading of the context makes clear he's talking about spiritual gifts. But he calls them grace. And why does he do that? Because these gifts are a manifestation of God's grace to us in Christ. We did nothing to deserve them. In fact, we only deserve the opposite. We were dead in our sins, right? 
We were only, if left to ourselves, we would only harm the church. We wouldn't build it up. So that means it's the greatest privilege to serve the church. It's the greatest privilege to be used by the Lord, given what we once were. And since any ability we have to contribute to the growth of the church comes from God's gracious gift, and it doesn't come from us, then we cannot take any credit for any of the good we do, any of the fruit. We can't brag about any of it, right? Because gifts are fundamentally a manifestation of God's grace. So if you can do hospitality really well, or somebody can counsel really well, or somebody can teach really well, they cannot ultimately take credit for that, because it's God who's endowed them with the gift to be used in the first place. It's a manifestation of God's grace, and a great privilege. All right, that was number one. Somebody time me on these, okay? we got to see how we do. That's probably about two minutes, so i gotta got to go faster. All right, number two, next one we saw is that we saw that we're also not all gifted the same, okay? Spiritual gifts are form-fitted to the individual believer, Okay, they're form-fitted to you, to me. We see that in Ephesians 4-7 as well. Paul says that we've been given these abilities according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the language he uses there. We've been given these abilities according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what does that mean? It means that Christ has chosen the specific abilities to give you and how much of it to give you. He's measured it out specifically to you. So that means we shouldn't ever wish that we had someone else's gifts or we shouldn't be discontent with what God's given to us. That would be doubting God's good design of you. And we, we, we looked at that in depth last time. It also means we shouldn't think that we have all the gifts at our disposal, like that we're the, we're the full body in, just in and of ourselves, right? We are limited. Each of us are limited. Jesus has specifically not given you certain gifts as well as giving you other gifts. And that's because he doesn't intend you to have all of them. He's designed us to be interdependent and to work together in the body. Right? So next, we've observed, number three, that spiritual gifts are given for a purpose. Uh, This is repeated in so many places in Scripture, but they're for the building up of the church. That's the, that's the purpose of these gifts. They're, they're to build up the church. And this comes in fulfillment of Scripture. Paul tells us throughout this paragraph in Ephesians 4 that the reason God has gifted us is so that we will use them to edify this church. Meaning they aren't for us, ultimately. Now, will we get a lot of joy and fulfillment from using our gifts and seeing the Lord use us in the church? Of course we will. Like it's like the thrill of our lives. But, at the end of the day, he has given me this gift not merely for myself, and definitely not to show off or boast, right? But he's given me the gift to be used for the good of others, to strengthen their faith, to build them up, to help them grow in Christ. That's the goal. And last time, we explored how this ministry of building up the church is actually fulfilling something predicted in the Old Testament. We saw that God is now using His restored people to build up His end-time temple. And He's doing that just like He used Israel's gifts back in Solomon's day and others to build the, the, the physical temple. So we get the unique privilege when we serve, even in the most mundane ways, of being part of this sort of new temple building project as we invest in the body of Christ. We get to beautify God's house. We get to radiate 
God's glory to the world around us. And that happens in fulfillment of Scripture as we use our gifts to build up the church. Paul wants to make sure that we have that vision as we're, as we're thinking about giving and using our gifts. All right? And finally, number four, we observe that we don't discover or maximize our gifts by ourselves in our dorm room, sitting alone, apart from the church body. In fact, Paul says that spiritual gifts are fostered by the church, specifically by church leaders in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He says there that Christ gave the church leaders to equip the rest of the saints for the work of ministry. So he means that certain people in the congregation equip the rest of the congregation to effectively use their gifts to build up the church. That's what he's saying. And that means then that the path to find and maximize your gifts happens right here in the local church, and that's by God's good design. You need to be taught God's word if you're going to be useful. You need to see the gifts functioning right here in our midst if you're going to learn to use your gifts. You'll need some opportunities to test your gifts. You'll need some affirmation and encouragement or constructive criticism from the church itself about your gifts. And I can't tell you how sweet this is for a body to know you and tell you when you've been edifying or tell you when you haven't been edifying. And that's because the gifts are fostered in the church, by, and specifically by the church leaders. We'll, get, we'll talk, about, talk about that a little bit more today. All right, so that was part one. Um, today's part two. So let's keep building that framework from other key passages of Scripture. Uh, I want to give you, I don't know how many it is, I think five more. All right? So we've got to really move fast. Five more observations. Lesson two, understanding the gifts part two. All right? Can to keep adding, adding, to the, adding to the framework here? All right, the next one we see here is that spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit. That's number five. Spiritual gifts are empowered by the Spirit himself. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll have all these texts on the screen, so if you're like, oh, do I write, do I turn there, what do I do? Um, it'll be on the, on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 12. It's another, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is a crucial um, number of chapters for the spiritual gifts. So we'll be in and out of those chapters in our series. Um, But chapter 12, we'll just kind of drop down in in this one to, to draw out this particular point. It's crucial for us to see that when we exercise our gifts, that the Spirit Himself is actually energizing that gift and making it eternally effective. Did you hear that? That's a big deal. (laughs) When we're exercising our gifts, Paul wants us to see that the Spirit is energizing that gift and making it eternally effective. When When we use our gifts, it reveals that God Himself is present, that God Himself is powerfully at work, even in the most mundane uses of your gifts. That's humbling, and yet it's liberating at the same time. So let's look at the way Paul says this over in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We'll pick it up in, uh uh-oh, yeah, there we go. Pick it up in verse 7. Let's read it together here. He says, to each of us, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Do you hear that language? 
To each of us has given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about gifts there. For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, to an, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. To another, the various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So notice first, I I underlined it here in this text on the screen and put it in green so you couldn't miss it, um, that Paul calls these gifts a manifestation of the Spirit. What's his point? When the gifts are being exercised in the church, that shows something. It reveals something. It manifests something or someone. The Holy Spirit's presence. He's there, and you're giving evidence to His presence when you use the gifts He's given you. And that language also implies that the Spirit Himself is working when you serve others in faith. And He's working whether you feel like He's working or not. Paul says this explicitly down at the end of of the paragraph in, in verse 11. He says the Spirit doesn't just give the gifts... He empowers them too. So this means then that that fruit is guaranteed. Do you hear that? Fruit is guaranteed. Why? Not because you're powerful. Not because you're good in in and of yourself and gifted, but because the Spirit is at work. And He is empowering you as you serve. His power is channeled through you to accomplish His eternal plan as you use the gifts he's given you. That is super encouraging. I can know that my labor is not in vain, that my serving will produce the fruit he intends because he's infusing, in this case, the words I speak, or maybe in another person's case, he's energizing your time with those kids in the nursery to accomplish his eternal purposes. And sometimes we might doubt if our serving is actually accomplishing anything. Ever been there? Now we're going to talk about identifying where the Lord's gifted you and trying to maximize that and maybe frustrations if you're serving in an area that that maybe the Lord hasn't equipped you to serve in. But But here's the bottom line. If you're serving God's people, if you're loving them in faith, guess what? You're going to be using some aspect of your gifts and the Spirit Himself has promised to energize those gifts for His purposes. What he accomplished might only be revealed in the kingdom, but often he shows us glimpses of what he's doing so that we're encouraged. But whether or not we see it, we have his promise right here in this text that he energizes all of our abilities when we exercise our gifts in faith. Now, you probably heard me repeat something four or five times, this little phrase, by faith or in faith, right? And this actually leads to our, our next observation. Say it like this. The Spirit energizes our gifts when we're using them in faith. Spiritual gifts are ex- to be exercised in faith. We're 
We're going to jump over to Romans 1 to look at this, how these gifts are, are exercised. It's an interesting, interesting little text here. What do we mean when we say exercised in faith? Well, we can say it like this. To use a spiritual gift properly is an act of faith. Right? It's an act of faith to use the gifts properly. They're done in faith, meaning it flows out of our faith in God's promises. We step out in faith when we serve. We trust God to do whatever He wants by our obedience. And we see this in an interesting little verse in the opening of of Romans here, Romans 1. We know that Paul was really eager to get to Rome for lots of reasons. The letter tells us. Paul had never been there. And he wanted these Romans to essentially launch him to Spain for more church planting. But he didn't want them to do that before he'd spent a little time with them. And he wanted to build them up. So look at what he says here, beginning in verse 11. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wanted to use his spiritual gifts for their good, or as he says here, their strengthening. But then notice how he restates that in verse 12. See that that is, it's a restatement here. This using of gifts is not a one-way street. He wants to visit them, not just to encourage them with his gifts, but to be encouraged by their gifts as well. But when he restates it in verse 12, he uses different language. He calls these gifts faith, or an exercise of faith. What's he doing? Well, apparently Paul is free to describe the use of spiritual gifts as an exercise of faith. Over in Romans 12, just a little side note, he he calls the gifts a measure of faith. So again, another another example of him using this faith language for gifts. He's describing these when when we exercise our gifts as an exercise of faith. Faith motivates the use of our gifts and faith fuels our gifts. Or at least it ought to. Okay. Now this is insightful for us. Why? Because we often serve faithlessly. We often serve without faith. We're not from faith. I sometimes catch myself starting to write a sermon. um, And I might be anxious. I I might be behind. And I just need to get this done. I feel a burden. It's like, i I got to crank this out. And I can sit down and start churning, you know, on that sermon faithlessly. What's going on? I'm not exercising the teaching gift in faith in that moment, or the preparing to teach in faith. I'm not entrusting myself. I'm not entrusting my productivity. I'm not entrusting my insights that I, that I need. I'm not entrusting that to the Lord. I'm just trying to get it done. I'm not anticipating the fruit He's going to produce. I'm not envisioning the life that He's going to radically impact when He turns on the lights in their heart. I'm not thinking about the eternal reward promised to me for being faithful. I'm just anxious and trying to get it done right there in the moment. So it's tempting 
for us to use our gifts not from faith, but from some other, some other paradigm. That's what serving faithlessly might look like for me in that moment. But let's take another example. I've been talking about the nursery, so we'll just use that one. Um, faithlessly serving in the nursery might sound like this. Like, ah, oh, man, I have to do that again? Wasn't I just on that rotation? Didn't I just do that? Um, man, I hope I don't get sick from these kids. You know, the kids are just passing germs around all the time. And then you go and fulfill your nursery duty, and you, you, you used your gift of helps, let's say, but to what end? With what motive? Was it from a heart posture of looking to God and His promises? Faith would sound like this. Yeah, I know the nursery sometimes tough, and I might get sick, but you know what? Some mother is going to get to experience God's Word without distraction tonight. And I am praying that God works in her heart, and I'm thankful I get to play a little part in that tonight as I watch her kids. Holy Spirit, you promised to empower my gift as I try to help these folks. You promised to empower that to build your body. So help me to have faith to believe that. As I faithfully and joyfully attend to these children, please encourage the heart of one of our mothers as she sees my my love for her children. How might you use me tonight in the other nursery worker's life? Please help me love her. Please help me listen well and build her up. That's faith operating there. As you head to the nursery, you're interacting with the Lord and you're, you're, you're bringing your gifts before Him and saying, hey, I want, you to, I want you to use these things to build your body. And then you're depending on Him for fruit. You're looking for ways that you can do that. Faith is the conduit. Faith is the conduit for the Spirit's power in the use of your gifts. Faith is the conduit for the Spirit's power in the use of your gifts. The Spirit might withhold His power as you use your gifts faithlessly. But when you're trusting Him, you're looking to Him in faith, guess what? You're not going to boast in fruit. The, the blessing of your spiritual gift is not going to come back to harm you, as in inflate you and make you more proud, because you're looking to Him in faith. And He is pleased to use the weakness of His servants, those, those who depend on Him for great, great fruitfulness. So if you think about the first two points, or I guess five and six, uh, you think about the gifts are empowered by the Spirit, maybe you think of that as like God's perspective or God's role, and then exercise in faith is kind of our role, and it's the same thing that's happening there. As we exercise faith, the Spirit is also working, energizing us in our gifts. Now, we've seen that obviously the Spirit grants and empowers these gifts and that God gives them to us at conversion, but that does not mean that your gifts are just automatic or that you don't have to work at them or that they're even always easy. Okay? In fact, Paul explicitly says that spiritual gifts are to be diligently practiced and improved. Spiritual gifts are to be diligently practiced and improved. Or we could say it differently like this. Spiritual gifts are not static. They're not static. They're dynamic. They can improve through hard work, but they can also atrophy if they're not used. And we'll see both sides of this in Paul's letters to Timothy. I've given you two, two examples here. In the first letter to his ministry protege, young Timothy, 
He wanted to make sure that Timothy was really getting after using his gifts, especially his teaching and exhorting gifts in the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul had stationed Timothy there, and he needed him to hold the line. Okay? He was kind of an extension of Paul in Ephesus. This 35-year-old dude, give or take. He was holding the line, and he knew, Paul knew that in order for the church to stay faithful, Timothy needed to exercise his gifts. So listen to what he tells him in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now this is a super insightful passage. At least it's been helpful for me. Notice initially that Paul commands Timothy to devote himself to the exercise of his gifts. See that? My first underline there. Now you might say, where where does it say the gifts part? All I see Paul saying is he should be devoted to reading, exhorting, and teaching. Well, at least two of those activities are attested by Paul as gifts. Exhortation and teaching. Then notice that he follows up that command with a negative version of the same thing. He says, don't neglect your gift. So, devote yourself to this, and then don't neglect it over here. It's kind of a negative way of saying the same thing. And that implies it's possible to let your gift go, so to speak. To not tend it or improve it. And perhaps even get worse at it. And finally, he doubles down, telling Timothy to practice and even fully immerse himself in these things. Again, the context of these things includes the exercise of his gifts. It also includes his development, his character development, his growth, but it includes his gifts as well, the exercise of them. And finally, notice why. It's so that the entire church can watch him make progress. Right? So he can, so he can grow. Now, this is an encouragement. Okay, Timothy was a younger man, probably in his early to mid-30s, So younger people really need to get after their gifts. Why? So they can improve. The Bible does not expect you to have honed your gifts when you're young in the faith. The Bible doesn't even expect you to know all the ways that you're gifted just yet. But the encouraging thing is, you can be gifted in an area of ministry and then improve that gifting over time. Last Sunday night, um, I gave a ministry update about boundless to the whole church. And uh, it was a sweet time reflecting on all the ways that God has worked in our ministry over the years and grown us. And uh, after that service, a man came up to me and <laughs> he tried to encourage me. And he said, uh, he's like, man, I remember when you first came here. He's like, you were so, you know, green and oh, man, it was just so young. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was. Like, wasn't I? And he was just like, yeah. Those first sermons, I remember them. <laughs> he was like, they were painful. <laughs> Literally, I'm not, I'm not joking. And I was like, oh, like painful. Like, oh, man, maybe he's joking. And he's like, no. They were, they were, they were painful and awkward. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. Uh, thank you, sir. You have the gift of encouragement. Um, but then he said, you know, he's like, but man, it's hard to believe how you've grown. And he's like, now you're actually good at this, you know. 
So, you know, after that initial blow, I was like, man, I thought I was like at least some seed form of the gift of teaching, not uh, painful and awkward. But, um, so my point in sharing that is to show you that, hey, it's possible. You can grow in your gifting, and uh, you can grow through diligent practice. You can grow in your gifts. All right, it's tempting to think that if you're gifted, it'll just be automatic, right? You'll just be excellent at it from day one. Um, And you might look at somebody who seems really gifted and just think that that all came naturally. You might look at Christy Brown and think she just woke up one morning as the consummate servant. You know, the hospitality queen. But you know what? Her service, her excellence has come through diligent practice. Is she gifted? Yeah. But look, all, all we have to do is look at the fruit of that gifting, right? Like metaphorically and literally. Um, have, ate, have ate much fruit at her house, and it's very good. Um, but she's, she's worked at this over the years, okay? And she would be the first to tell you that. She's honed the skill, and now she's serving excellently. And that's super encouraging. Why? Because you're not stuck in your gifts, kind of like, this is what I got, and I've got to be mediocre at this my whole life. You can enhance them and you can get better at them over time as you immerse yourself in serving, as learning from others, mimicking the body. Um, And that's super encouraging. All right, another text along these lines uh, comes in Paul's last letter to his ministry disciple. And here he returns to this theme of maximizing his gifts. And he tells Timothy to actually fan into flame or rekindle his gifts. Look at this in uh, 2 Timothy, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. This gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So this context implies that Timothy had let a little fear creep in, or was tempted to at the very least. And the fear was a threat to his gifts. So apparently like a campfire that's gone untended... Timothy's gifts need a little oxygen. They need a little air to get the flames going again. Was Paul blowing on the embers, right, in his letter through encouragement? Yeah, he definitely definitely was. But he's actually commanding Timothy to fan the flame, to provide the oxygen, to do the rekindling. And I think the rekindling is the actual employment of the gift. Okay? It's the employment of the gift. For Timothy, it involved mortifying whatever fears were tempting him and stepping out and trusting that God had gifted him and would produce eternal fruit as he got back into using his gifts. So we don't know what was going on. Maybe he was shirking away from teaching, thinking, who am I? I'm just a 35-year-old or 30, I don't know how old he was, 40-year-old at the time. Got all these other people that are older than me, more experienced. I don't know what was going on, but some fear was hindering him. And it's easy to let fear motivate us away from serving and meeting someone's need. We might fear looking stupid or not knowing what to do, making a mistake. We might be afraid of getting into a situation that makes us feel awkward or out of place. We might fear what it could cost us if we serve in that way. We could get hurt. We could get burned. If fear is driving you, don't let it dominate you. Okay? You've got to make decisions. You've got to think through carefully, think through things, and what it's going to cost you time-wise and this thing. I'm not saying don't think, think about those things. You definitely do. But if fear is in the driver's seat, we have to get at the root of that. We've got to repent of that. The spirit within you is the spirit of power. He reminds that to Timothy. 
Meaning he's going to produce the fruit that he intends through your service. So it's not ultimately riding on you. Now, if up to this point you're somehow not quite motivated to get after using your gifts, um, then this, this next observation will be helpful. Let it, let it sink in, all right? This one comes not from Paul, but from Peter. And we could say it like this. The spiritual gifts are a stewardship from God. Spiritual gifts are a stewardship from God. And it's over, you see this over in 1 Peter 4.10. And we'll be there in the last, last observation as well. So um, be our last text this morning. Spiritual gifts are stewardship. In other words, since God's given us these gifts to be used, we need to be good stewards of these gifts. Look with me in uh, 1 Peter 10, or 4, four uh, verse 10. There's no chapter 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So even as we read this passage, we see a lot of parallels with what we've observed from earlier passages, don't we? It says, you know, each of us received a gift. We all have one. Our gifts are given by God. We've received them. Um, we should use them to serve the church, right, to build, a, build up the body. Uh, there's a diversity. There's God's very grace. All the gifts aren't the same. Gifts themselves are grace. All that's good. But Peter includes another helpful detail here. As he calls us to use these gifts, he calls them, he calls us to use the gifts as good stewards, he says. Good stewards. What is that? A steward is not an owner. He's someone employed by the owner, someone who has the owner's stuff and needs to oversee it to make it flourish. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, it's crucial to remember that we're simply stewards of these gifts. We're like an account manager of the fund that God has given us to manage and maximize for His glory. It's His fund. And He's looking to us to manage it. And the stewardship metaphor is helpful when it comes to motivation. Why? Well, because we're going to have to answer to God for how He leveraged the gifts that He gave us. When we're not zealous to serve, kind of floating around, self-absorbed, and we're not eager to maximize our gifts, this might reveal that you have forgotten about the reality that you're going to have to give an account to Christ for how you use the gifts He's given you. Okay? This isn't a, hey, let's employ all the college students to serve Timberlake Day. This is, hey, I care about your soul, and I care about that moment when you're going to stand before Jesus and have to give an account to Him for what He's given you and how you squandered it or maximized it. That's what's at stake here. That's what driving Peter to say, hey, use your gifts as God's stewards. If you're tempted to say, I'm just too sinful, I'm too immature, I'm, I'm, I'm too, you know, immature to be useful right now. Okay, that, that may not be far from the truth, right? But the answer is not just to sit back in self-pity. Even if you're immature, 
you still have gifts that Christ is going to have you answer for. You're not going to be able to say, I was just too sinful. You know, he's going to look at you and say, why didn't you deal with that? You know, so that you can be useful. So that you can be a good steward of what he's given you. And that's, that's because not serving the church means you're a bad steward of God's varied grace. That's a sobering thought, and that's a motivating thought at the same time. Um, and it's one that Satan wants us to forget. So this is why he brings it in here. Gonna, we're going to have to give an account. And yet the glorious thing about our kind king is this. Listen. He lavishly rewards our meager efforts. Now, <laughs> why is that a crazy thing? Well, it's crazy because he's the one energizing us. He's the one that's given us the gifts in the first place. He's the one producing the fruit through us, and yet he is going to reward us for the fruit. That is extremely humbling. Luke 19, if you want to just jot that down and read it later, Luke 19 shows us that the reward far exceeds the sacrifices that we make. In that parable, the servant of the king invests, let's just say, $5,000, right? Of the king's money, the king gives him a small amount of money. I know it might seem big to you, but a small amount of money to invest, right? He invests it. It makes a little profit. Let's just say it doubles to ten grand. And then he gets cities to govern. The king comes back and says, oh, you made $5,000? Here's ten cities. You know, or five cities, or whatever, whatever it is. Here, here, here's a, you know, a metropolis, or five of ten of them, to govern um, on my behalf because you were faithful with what I gave you. Jesus is so generous when it comes to how he's going to reward us. And it's doubly generous considering the gifts are a grace. Considering that he's the one energizing us as we serve considering that it's him who ultimately produces the fruit. So, when I talk about being a good steward, there's a negative motivation. You know, it's like, well, he's going to call me to account. But then there's a positive motivation of, man, he wants to lavishly reward you and will for all of the fruit that's produced. That's motivating. Now, as we would expect, all this in, in Peter's text crescendos, um, to the, into the ultimate purpose of, of our spiritual gifts. When God is behind our gifts, we're going to end here. When God's behind it, all the glory and the praise ultimately goes to Him. As we use our gifts in these various ways as God's good stewards, then He gets the glory in everything. And that's our last observation this morning. The gifts are ultimately for the glory of God. They're for the glory of God. We saw that in our, in our text. So, gifts are given to edify the church? Yeah. Gifts are given to bring us joy in the using? Yeah. Gifts are given to even bring us reward when Christ returns? Yeah. But all of that is headed somewhere. And it's headed to a higher, more noble purpose. And that's God's glory through Christ. And that's what Peter says here in the text. This means that as each one of us learn to maximize our gifts... God's glory will be put on display, not just then, but in the here and now. More and more will radiate His glory as the new temple, the more that temple is built. 
we manifest His great wisdom as this diverse group of people are unified around Jesus, as we all work together in different ways to see this body built up, to see it grow, to see unbelievers come to know the King, to see more churches planted. That's a glorious vision. And it's an unspeakable privilege to contribute to the glory and enhancement of God, or the enhancement of God's glory. So we could say more, but we're going to end here with uh, that sort of introductory crash course. Uh, I've tried to provide us a basic framework, and you can see it there if you want to take a picture of it, if you missed it. Um, Here's a high point, all right, over the last two weeks. A spiritual gift, just our definition, our spiritual gift is a specific and God-given ability to build up the church. We've said a lot of other things, obviously, but that's the gist of, of the overview. Now, next time, we're going to turn our attention to unpacking the individual gifts. Okay, so you can pray for me. Um, this is challenging because there's, there's not a lot of data on these things, but there's enough to, uh, to understand them and to get after using them. And we need to get our minds around the gifts as they're described in Scripture, and to see how the apostles categorize them, um, because that's going to help us uh, learn to use them ourselves. All right, and I said this last time as we wrapped up. I'll say it again. If you're really fired up, kind of after this intro, and you're like, man, I feel like I'm on a cliffhanger here. Like, what do I do? How do I find my gift? What do do I do? Just tell me, you know. Tell me where to serve. Um, Just focus on loving the people around you. Just focus on meeting them and serving them, getting, getting to know their needs and trying to meet those needs. If you're not a member, you don't have a church, a good, healthy church that you're involved in, the next step for you is not to try to serve in the nursery. The next step for you is to commit to that body, right? To become part of it. So just take that, that next, just focus on loving people, serving people, focus on meeting needs however you can, joining a church, and guess what's going to happen? Your gifts are going to begin to seep out because you can't hide them. Because they're in there. They're in you. God has, God has hardwired you, gifted you with certain things. Those are going to come out. You're going to naturally gravitate towards certain areas of service in the church. So that's a good sort of first step, first indicator. We're going to talk a lot more about that in weeks to come. But that's a little outlet for you if you're, if you're burdened. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much just for gifting us. We acknowledge um, that often... Uh, we're self-absorbed when we come into the body. We are thinking about our own needs. And, and yet, you want to come to us and, and liberate us to, um, to serve and be used for your noble purposes. That um, in whatever fields of study or vocations that we're involved in, uh, to be used by you um, to build up your body, to see folks come to Christ, to be used in in behind-the-scenes ways and upfront ways and all everything in between. And uh, we, we need every, every part of this body working. And so we look to you. Thank you for energizing us in that. Help us discern uh, where we may be gifted so that we can continue to maximize these things for your glory. We pray in Christ's name.